Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Of the Great Commentary of Cornelius Elipedi, St. Matthew's Gospel, by Cornelius Elipedi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Then went out to him. Then, when the fame of his holy and austere and eremitical life was everywhere spread abroad, of so great power with all men is sanctity, and the reputation of sanctity. Now Jordan in Hebrew is as though Yerid min Dan, that is, descending from Dan. Dan in Hebrew signifies judgment, whence the passage denotes mystically that they who fear the judgment of God run to holy preachers, such as was John, that they may learn from them the way of salvation, and thus in the day of judgment may have their portion in heaven assigned by Christ the judge, and were baptized, etc., Unaptly, Calvin interprets were baptized to mean were taught the baptism of repentance. For to baptize does not mean to teach, but to wash the body with water, as is plain from verse 13. The baptism of John was different from the baptism of Christ, as I show against the heretics on Acts 19. The baptism of John was only a sign and protestation of repentance, and a preparation for the baptism of Christ that they may be justified by it. Hence they were confessing their sins. For repentance, or sorrow for sin, causes a man to confess his sins, and seek for remedy for them, and for pardon. Thus the Jews in certain cases were obligated to confess their sins to a priest, as I have shown in Leviticus 5. But this confession was not a sacrament, nor did it procure remission of sins, as in the confession instituted by Christ. For in that, as in a sacrament, the priest, by the power conferred upon him by Christ in ordination, absolves the penitent from his sins. But that confession of the Jews was only a sign of penitence and compunction, or inward contrition, which, if it were perfect, that is to say, proceeding from the love of God above all things, would put away sins and justify. For charity covereth the multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4. But when he saw many etc. As early as the time of Jonathan, the brother of Judas Maccabeus, there were three sects among the Jews, the Pharisees, the Essians, and the Sadducees. Josephus thus writes concerning them, In the time of Jonathan there were three sects, who disagreed among themselves about human affairs. They were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essians. Of these the Pharisees attributed some things, but not all to fate and some things, they say, are in our own power, so as to be or not to be. The Essians affirm that all things are in a power of fate, and that nothing can happen to a man except by the decree of fate. But the Sadducees altogether deny fate in human affairs. They say that nothing happens because it is fated to happen, and that everything is in our own power and that we ourselves are the authors of our own happiness or misfortune, according as we follow good or evil counsel. He treats more fully of these sects, where he says that the Pharisees professed more accurate knowledge of the rights of the law. The Sadducees denied providence and rewards and punishment for the soul after death, which is the only brittle which will restrain from sin, and when it is withdrawn, men rush like unbridled horses into all manner of voluptuousness. Whence St. Luke says, The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, 
but the Pharisees confess both. For the Sadducees follow the fables of the Greek sophists and atheists, and laugh at the Elysian field of the blessed, at Orcus and Cerbus and Hell. The Pharisees oppose the Sadducees, following the faith and hope of the ancient fathers Abraham, Moses, and the prophets, and the people were on their side. But on the side of the Sadducees were the nobles, and it would appear Herod, who lived like an atheist, in all licentiousness and cruelty. When Christ came, both Pharisees and Sadducees conspired against him, as the common enemy of the Jews. Against the Sadducees the Book of Wisdom was written, and the second book of Maccabees, as I have shown. The Sadducees were so called as though they were just, because they arrogated to themselves the name of justice from Sadoc, justice, or rather from Sadoc, the name of their founder. The Pharisees were so called as expounders and explainers of the law, or separated, for the root parash signifies to separate and also to expound from the common people by their learning and sanctity. Their masters and chiefs were Ar-Halel and Shemai, who St. Jerome says on the 8th chapter of Isaiah lived a little before Christ. They were, however, always opposed to virtue and truth. Whence they are here most severely rebuked by St. John, because they were proud and puffed up with a vain opinion of their wisdom and sanctity, as well as because they were hypocritical, and as though ambitious of a feigned holiness, they sought for baptism with the rest, that they might be accounted holy by the people. Thus origin, it may be added that they wished by this means to bind John to themselves, and stop his mouth from speaking of their faults. This is what politicians do at the present day. The Essians alone, on account of the goodness of their faith and morals, favored Christ and Christians. Indeed, being made Christians, they became the first monks under St. Mark, as I have shown on Acts 5. O generation of vipers, this is a Hebraism, meaning ye are vipers, sprung from vipers, the very evil children of very evil parents, noxious, crafty, and poisonous, who propagate your pernicious morals and errors which you have derived and inherited from your wicked ancestors, in your disciples as your children, whose souls you kill and destroy. So Saints Jerome and Gregory, for the bite of the viper is so noxious and destructive that it causes death in seven hours, or at its furthest on the third day. Christ explains John's words, saying, Ye bear witness against yourselves that ye are children of them that killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? St. Jerome, on Luke 3, thinks that the prudence of the Pharisees is here alluded to. According to the words, Be ye wise as serpents, for the serpent by prudence provides for the future, yet does not its venom leave it. So likewise was it with them. By a certain provident devotion, they took care of the future, and desired the baptism of John, and yet they forsook not their badness and their sins. Who hath warned you to flee, etc.? To flee, that is, to escape. Forewarned, the Greek has epithexin, signifying one suggested, advised, two shown, demonstrated. 
i.e. by reasoning and example. Hence, epithexis means a demonstration. The wrath to come does not mean the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus, so much as the wrath of Christ the judge, which he will manifest to the wicked who are condemned in the day of judgment. It means the vengeance and sentence of condemnation, which he shall pronounce then upon them, as Christ himself explains. Matthew 23. It means the wrath and angry continence of Christ, which shall then so terrify the wicked, that they shall say to the mountains, Fall upon us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Revelation 6. St. John the Baptist was a true preacher of the kingdom of heaven, promising it to those who repent, but a preacher likewise of the wrath of God and of hell, and these threatening the impenitent, such as were the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let the true preacher do the same, as Isaiah did and Hosea and Christ himself. The meaning of the whole is clear and plain. Who hath shown or pointed out that ye shall escape the coming wrath, that is, the judgment of an angry Christ and everlasting damnation. For so Christ himself explains John, when he threatens the same scribes and Pharisees with Gehenna, saying, Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell? That is to say, by no means shall ye be able to escape that condemnation. But of a very surety ye shall fall into it, because ye are a generation of vipers, i.e. ye have your malignity and hypocrisy so long a time in you, and so confirmed by practice, that ye cannot be torn away from them, because ye do not wish to be. As dissemblers do ye draw nigh to me, as though ye repented, when either you do not believe in God's providence, wrath, and vengeance, like the Pharisees, or if you do believe in them, ye believe as the Pharisees do. Ye fear them not, but proudly think that ye are righteous. So John gravely rebukes them. Who hath promised you that ye shall escape hell? False is your persuasion, O ye Sadducees. There is a hell. Most vain likewise is your presumption and security, O ye Pharisees, in that ye are not afraid of hell, because ye proudly esteem yourselves righteous. The emphasis is on the word epithexon. Ye live securely and are asleep in your lusts, just as if there were no vengeance of God and punishment of wickedness after this life, or at least as if they need not be apprehended by you. Whence is that security of yours? Whence that hypothesis, that demonstration, that proof, that suggestion? It comes from no sure and evident reason. It comes only from your own pride and foolish persuasion. Jansen and Francis Lucas give another turn to the words. They think that they are the expression of John's rebuke of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Sadducees, as though he said, I do not believe that ye are approaching my baptism in sincerity, for who could have pointed out to you that by my baptism of repentance the coming wrath of God might be escaped, when either like the Sadducees ye do not believe in that wrath, or else do not fear it like the Pharisees. For to the unbelieving and the arrogant nothing can be demonstrated or persuaded which goes contrary to their own opinion or their pride. Wherefore, ye do not repent, ex animo, 
but ye pretend that ye are fleeing from the anger of God. Maladonatus has another opinion. He thinks that these are the words of John, admiring so great and so sudden conversion of the Sadducees and Pharisees, who hath demonstrated to you that ye should fear the judgment of God and hellfire, which aforetime ye either did not believe or else did not fear. Whence comes so great a change in you? Not surely from yourselves, but from the mighty grace and operation of God, says St. Chrysostom, and from your evil conscience, which accuses you of your guilt and compels you to fear the judgment of God. Tropologically, St. Bernard teaches that coming wrath must be escaped by present wrath, i.e. by penance, which man imposes upon himself or accepts when imposed upon him by God. What, O miserable ones, hath pointed out to you to flee from the coming wrath? Why do ye so greatly flee from the present wrath, when by it ye may escape that one which is to come? Why do you fear the scourge? Why decline the rod? These are the things which in this your day belong unto your peace. If ye would but know it, you only change, you do not escape penance, for it cannot be that the wicked shall go unpunished. He who is not punished here of his own will will be punished elsewhere without end. A wretched exchange indeed, and a token of the extreme of madness, is that exchange by which you would decline temporal affliction and choose the eternal anguish prepared for the devil. The sinner who would avoid the rod of the correcting father will fall into the everlasting punishment of God the judge. Bring forth, therefore, etc. Greek, carpon axion, worthy fruit, in the singular, worthy fruit of penance. Observe that the genitive of penance is governed by the word fruit, as well as the word worthy. The Baptist teaches the way in the meaning of escaping the wrath to come, that it is present repentance, but it must be worthy penance, that is to say, true, serious, and condign or suitable, because ye, O Sadducees, do not believe the providence of God, and the anger which shall overtake the wicked in hell, and because ye, O Pharisees, do not fear that anger, because ye trust in your own works that ye are righteous, therefore ye shall both fall into that hell, and therefore that ye may both escape it, do penance, and change your lives. Do ye... O ye Pharisees, exchange your faithless atheism for belief in divine providence. Do ye, O ye Pharisees, exchange your pride for humility, your gluttony for abstinence, your lust for chastity, your covetousness for alms deeds, your outward pharisaic righteousness, and the boast of it for Christian and inward holiness. Bring forth fruits as truly become penance, as indeed serious repentance which as proceed from the heart of a true penitent. They are tears, detestation, and punishment of sin. They are the conversion of life and conduct. Let me add that worthy penance is that in which the measure of grief and pain corresponds to the measure of the pleasure and the sin, that according to the enormity of the sin should be the increase of punishment. A far heavier penance should be that of the adulterer, then of the thief, of the parricide, then of the manslayer. Whence in the penitential canons, penances are justly decreed and measured out to every kind of sin. Justly, I say, having regard to the crimes and to man, 
not with respect to God. For one single mortal sin, inasmuch as it is an offense against God, and because thereby the sinner implicitly places his chief good and end in the creature, which he loves so as to prefer it to God, and so takes away from the honor of the deity. Such sin is therefore, as it were, deicide and Christicide, and so contains within it an infinity of wickedness. For it is an offense and an injury against God, who is immense and infinite. Wherefore, by no punishment or penance of any creature whatsoever can just and adequate satisfaction be made to God. Yea, even if all men and all angels were of their own accord to endure all the torments of hell for all eternity, they could never offer worthy repentance and satisfaction to God for a single mortal sin. Christ alone can do this, inasmuch as he is the Son of God and very God. His penance, therefore, and satisfaction, as regards his person, which is of infinite dignity, are likewise of infinite value, and are equal and adequate to the infinite offense committed against an infinite God. Such is the sinfulness of sin, which if men thoroughly perceived, surely they would sin no more. Lastly, he brings forth worthy fruits of repentance, who, when he is converted, serves the truth with as much zeal as before he served the devil in vanity, and loves God as fervently as before he loved the world in the flesh. Here, Climacus, how he gives an exact description of penitence. Penitence is an ever-abiding abandonment of fleshly consolation. Penitence is a willing endurance of all afflictive dispensations. Penitence is the continual farmer of scourges for itself. Penitence is the strong source of tribulation for the belly, and the stern rebuker of the sinful soul. End of Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 through 8.